All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and keep us as we examine what you would want us to see from this section. And we thank you for your love, your care, and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 14, starting at verse 25. And there, w- and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me... And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross shall come after and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and inquires the cost, whether he can sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation Haply, excuse me, he has laid the foundation and not be able to finish, and all that behold and come begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king sits not down first and considers whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sends an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever it be among you who that forsake not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? There is neither it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill that men cast it out. He that has ears, let him hear. So I'm thinking about this one as I was lo- listening to this, looking at it for the last couple of weeks. What does it cost to follow Jesus? And it's kind of an interesting thing. In our day and age, we hear a lot of messages from people that say, just turn to Jesus and everything's going to be good. Well, in my experience, that is not a true statement. As a matter of fact, when we're on the wrong side of the enemy of this world, things do not go good. But the cost, what is the cost that Jesus is talking about here? And from this section, I was looking at a few things. First off, Jesus has to be number one in our life number one in our life and this is very important for us because he says this him being number one looks like we don't even love our own family and our own mother fathers wives children now he's not literally saying we're to go around hating all of our family but what does it come down to and i've heard this many times well i can't serve god because i'm too busy doing family stuff now is family stuff important yes it's important to have family family activities going on is it important to take care of your spouse absolutely it's important to take care of your spouse but should that person be above God and that answer is no if God tells us to do something we need to do it regardless of what all the family because how many of you have ever made a decision that you're going to do something and everybody's telling you that was really a dumb idea now uh, I have seen it happen more than once you know, I went to, a, I would, you know, we go to a church and people are praying for missionaries. Uh, God, send, send, send missionaries out there. And your kid comes and says, I want to be a missionary. No, 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 no. You need to go get a job and be, be here close to me. And we laugh about that, but you know, it is a serious thing that does happen a lot. God send missionaries to anybody but my family or me. You know, don't send me, don't send my family, go send somebody else. That should not be our prayer. 
Now, I have gone to a church where everybody wanted their kids to be missionaries and pastors. That was the epitome of where you wanted to be. And it was a great thing because it was, everybody was you know, trying to get missionaries out, missionaries. And you know, it was almost like, anybody in your family a missionary or a pastor? No. Oh, you poor person. <laughs> you know, uh, that may be going to the other extreme, you know, people pressured into becoming this. But Jesus was telling them, everything should be so important to you that cost is not the big deal, that Jesus is number one. Philippians 3.8 tells us, Sorry, I didn't mark these. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as dung, that I may win Christ. Is that really our attitude toward everything in our life? Hopefully it's supposed to be. In reality, it's probably not. There's so many things that we like to put before God. And do you realize that anything that we put before God is an idol? If God tells us to do something and we go, no, God, I, this is more important to me, we've got an idol that says no. When, we, when it says, God says, I want you to forsake not the assembling of yourselves and so much more as the day approaches, and we're going, God, I'm just too busy to go to church. You know, I'm too scared to go to church. I'm too busy to go to church. You know, my mom and dad don't want me to go to church. Grandma and grandpa don't want me to go to church. The kids don't want me to go. It doesn't matter who you say, say in there. You've raised up idols against God. And we need to be able to say, God, I want you first. No matter what. And I understand, you know, my earlier days, I was a workaholic. I placed work before everybody. God, family, everybody. I had a definite idol in my life. And I, I excused it. I was making money. My family was well taken care of. We had a house. We had all kinds of things. They had everything but me. You know, and God didn't have me that much either. I was so tired that when I did go to church, I fell asleep. You know, I tried to go to church, and I'd just fall asleep. Pastor would start talking, and I'd, I'd hear him give me a verse, and then I'd hear him say amen. That's why I don't, that's why I don't bug people when they're sleeping in church. I tell everybody, as long as I don't fall asleep, we're okay. You know, if I fall asleep, we got a big problem. Uh, hopefully I'm not that boring that I put myself to sleep. But I understand people get busy, they're tired, gets a little warm, especially around here in Arizona. But all of these things happen, but are we looking to put Jesus first? In Luke 5, verses 27, 28, Jesus is calling the disciples to him. What was Jesus' call as he walked to these people? Come follow me. Come follow me. Imagine if Jesus did that to you, and he does. He comes along and he says, come follow me. The sons of Zebedee were fishermen. They were fishing. They were tending the nets of their father. And Jesus said, come follow me. And they got up and they followed him. Now, you got to picture this. Uh, first off, their, their job was to help their dad make this fleet. And, his, and the Zebedee family was well known. They, they had a large fishing fleet. They supplied Israel with fish. And Jesus said, come follow me. And up top popped two of the boys and, a couple of, and two other men that were his servants, and they left. 
I don't know how many of you have ever run a business, but if you lose four, four workers out of your business, that's a big deal. Because now all of a sudden you got to replace four workers, you got to train them. And these were his sons. They had been raised for, you know, to do this from the very beginning. And all of a sudden Jesus says, come, follow me. He goes by the tax collector, Matthew, and says, come, follow me. And Matthew leaves his booth and follows Jesus. Now, you've got to picture that as well. This is a man who's collecting taxes for Rome. And all of a sudden, he just turns away from his contract. So I'm not going to collect taxes anymore. I'm following that man. And he was a hated man amongst the Jews because he was collecting taxes from them for Rome. He was a very wealthy man because tax collectors got wealthy. We see this over and over where Jesus said, come follow me and the people abandoned what they were doing and followed now why that happens you know i sometimes have given great consideration to that why do people all of a sudden respond to jesus and some don't i don't know the answer to that i don't really don't why did each one of us in this room turn around and follow jesus Maybe you were very fortunate and were raised in a christian home from your earliest days you were you were one of those cradle roll uh, Christians and was in church from the very first day. I wasn't one of them. I did get saved early on in life at, at 10 years old. But I've my, told you all my testimony. Before I was saved, nobody in my church went to, went, uh, nobody in my church, nobody in my family went to church. Nobody. But as far back as I can remember, I went, I went to find some churches somewhere. Why? I don't know. Why did God say come? I have no idea. We look through the scriptures and how many times did a good king follow a bad king? And it's like, how did this kid change from, his dad, from what his dad said as a standard? Then we have a couple of examples where bad kings followed good kings. You know, why do people change? It's because of our own heart. And God says, follow me. My challenge for us in here is, what is God saying to do for you to follow him? And whose voices are you listening in opposition to follow? And very easy because all of us have some voices in our, in, our, in, our, in our world that will tell us, well, that's foolish. You can't do that. That's foolish to go, to go to church every Sunday. It's foolish to read your Bible every day. It's foolish to give God tithes. It's foolish to, to tell people about Jesus. It's, it's foolish to think that he was calling you to be a missionary. You know, we need to be very careful because God has all kinds of things in store for us if we will just be obedient to the call and not let anybody else stand in our way. The second thing he told them is that you need to bear your cross. Now in our day and age we really don't think of the cross as that big a deal. You know we have the cross over here on the wall. Some people, many people wear crosses. We got crosses all, all around in the banners. But do you realize that in the day and age that they lived, that the cross was the execution method of the evil people? This would be like us saying, okay, I want you to carry your electric chair or your gas chamber around with you. Now we laugh because we can't even imagine doing that, but, but the cross wasn't these little tiny things either. The crosses were about 100 to 200 pounds of, of wood that they nailed them to. But Jesus said, take up your cross be ready to die to yourself 
What is our biggest problem in this world? We tend to want to put ourselves first above everything else. Why do we get mad at somebody? They didn't do what we wanted them to do. That's why we're wrong, you know, angry most of the time. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't, you didn't do it the right way. You didn't do it the way I expected you to do it. Now, and that could be a big problem, especially if it didn't matter that there is a right or wrong way, but I didn't do it the way that you wanted it done. Or I didn't meet your expectation. And this makes us angry. And God says, I want your flesh killed. In second, uh, second, yes, Galatians 2.20, it tells us, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but the Spirit lives in me. Are you crucified, letting your flesh be crucified daily? Is the flesh put on the cross and killed? It is wonderful when you can do it. I don't do it all that, all that great, but it is wonderful the days that it is done. God, I don't want what, you, what I want. I want what you want. When we really have that attitude and we're serving God, looking for what I can do for him rather than what people can do for me, great blessings happen. And I said this the other day, you know, can you imagine if we all lived the way that God wanted us to live, serving others? What would that mean? I might think, well, God, if I don't take care of myself, my needs are not going to be met. But if everybody in the church was serving everybody else in the church, how many people are taking care of my needs? You know, everybody would be taking care of my needs and everybody would be taking care of their needs without them having to seek their needs. God's plan is kind of wonderful, I would think, if we really wanted to trust it. But what does it amount to? We don't trust God. We really don't trust God because if I don't take care of my needs, God, you're not going to take care of my needs and the other around aren't going to take care of my needs, so I've got to go take care of myself. That was Lucifer's problem in, in heaven when he said, I want to be like the Most High. I want to sit on the throne on the, on the mount. His pride said, I am not getting enough by taking care of other people. How many times do we make that kind of a decision? God, i got to take care of myself. I don't care that you want, want to take care of me and that others are going to take care of me. I'm just going to take care of myself. We don't let our flesh get crucified. In Romans 12, it tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God says, I want you dead. I want your flesh dead. Why does he want the flesh dead? Well, the flesh represents everything that's bad because that is part of the fallen nature. Our flesh wants what's best for me, my, or what I think is best for me, because usually it isn't best for me. You know, this is where we're tempted to lie, to get out of trouble. Well, I can't get in, you know, if I lie, nobody's going to know that I did it. Only problem is the truth always comes out, as we always told our kids. But how many times do we still, to this day, tend to, well, if I tell somebody they're going to be mad at me, so I can't tell them what I did. You know, uh, but we need to understand that God says, present your body a living sacrifice. You, we are crucified with Christ. He says, bear your cross, which means that we are to die. 
if we mortify our flesh and let God live through us, what great things will be accomplished. When we look at the stories of the people in the Bible, we read biographies of people and we watch how God destroys their desires and then God comes out of them. You know, I've talked about him many times, you know, uh, George Mueller, man of prayer. You know, he, he built orphanages and had no money coming in other than what God provided and all he'd do is pray for it. Well, you read about his early days in life. He wasn't a nice prayer man. He was a manipulator. He cheated people and didn't think twice about cheating people. But God taught him over the years to crucify his desires and learn to be a prayer warrior. And now he's known as the prayer warrior, the man who would pray when no breakfast is there, you know, no food was there for breakfast for the children to pray for it. And the breakfast would show up as they're saying, thank you for their food. You know, uh, money would show up to pay the bills just in time, pay the salaries just in time. But that was not who he was in his early days. And it's very amazing when you read these lives of people and you realize these great people that we think are so great are just like us. They have or had problems and God had to kill their own desires so that he could live out of them. And this is so important for us. Are we willing to be able to work this way? Trust God in all of his desires. Because God's desires for us are good. God has a good plan for us. Now our plans usually are not what God wants. How many of us want to have no problems in life? Don't raise our hands, but ultimately we all kind of go, God, I just want to have no problems. If I could live life and have no problems whatsoever, I'd be happy. Well, you know, I don't think we would be, actually. I think we'd be very disappointed. But even beyond that, our problems drive us to God. When we get a problem that says it's too big for me to handle, what does it do? We usually drop to our knees and go to God and say, God, I need you. The problems strengthen us so that when we get a bigger problem later on, we're already ready for it because of the problems that we've had in the past. It's our attitude toward the problems that needs to be changed. And, my, and Paul, I love Paul's statement when he says, you know, uh, these light afflictions are nothing compared to the glory to come. Now, if you know Paul's life, uh, Paul was saying light afflictions being chased out of every town he gets in, being stoned, being, being uh, attacked and criticized, and he had ships that sunk under, from underneath him. He spent time in the water. He got bit by a serpent and still lived. He got thrown into prisons and jails all the time. You know, those were light afflictions. Now, how many of us would consider that life light? <laughs> but that was his attitude toward it. These are light because of the glory that is to come. These are light because I get to minister Christ to other people. And this is so important for us. What is our attitude toward these, these afflictions? Because these afflictions, as we walk through them, might draw others to Christ. If I suffer, does somebody else come to Christ because of it? And I've said this, you know, probably not so much in this one, but in my office there's a sign that says, what is the value of a soul, one soul? What would we be willing to give if one person comes to Christ? 
Jesus went to a cross so that people could come to him. He gave up everything. Now, most of us aren't called to do that. Maybe we will. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's hundreds of people that their calling on life was to give up their life for Christ. And we're still talking about them a thousand years to two thousand years later. We still know their names. We still know the revival that came because they gave their life for Christ. Do you realize how many people might be watching you and seeing how you react to problems? They know how they'll react. They'll criticize God. They'll criticize everybody else. They'll criticize nature, mother nature, whatever. They'll criticize everybody but themselves, which is probably their fault that they had the problem in the first place. But they're looking at us and saying, how do we endure? Do we turn to God and say, God, I want to see what you're going to do for us? You know, I love Romans 8.28, for all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for everything that comes our way. Sometimes it might just be for them to watch us have joy as we go through it. Not joy because of the problem, but joy that God is going to do something of great value from it. Paul wasn't saying, I'm really happy I'm going through all this pain. I'm a, I'm a crazy person who just likes pain. He goes, I thank God for the glory that is to come from this. I thank God for the lives that are going to come to Christ because I went through this. That needs to be our attitude. When we're suffering, God, you know, I've told you over time, my life, I believe that verse, and sometimes I tell God, God, I don't understand how anything good is ever going to come of this, but you said it will, so I'm going to believe it. And people get to watch that and say, well, they're not criticizing God. They're not cursing God. They're not bemoaning their life. And they watch you, and that is enough sometimes to bring somebody to Christ. We won't know how many people watched us until we get to heaven. Because I hear lots of people go, well, nobody has ever, you know, never talks to me about God. Well, first off, have you ever talked to anybody about God with your first part? But if you have, people are watching you. When you come to church every Sunday, people are watching you. They're going, okay, they must be a Christian. They go to church every Sunday. And they start looking and saying, does your life match up to what they expect? Do you have peace? Do you have joy more than, more than not? Because none of us are going to be at peace all the time. None of us are going to be joyful all the time. But is your life marked by peace and joy? Or is it marked by just the rest of the world, complaining and griping and, and, and all that stuff that goes along with the world? Are you just like the world, or are you somebody that stands up and says, God has got a different plan for me? So a couple of things that come to cost. Jesus is above all. He says, bear our cause. And then he said to them that they're to denounce all these things that, that, that are bringing in. They're, they're to count the cost. They're to denounce the world. Where are we with the world? Do we like the things of the world? Now, now, I'm not saying all the things of the world are bad. We need money to survive. But are we looking at everything and saying, I've got to have as much money as possible? Well, the only problem with having as much money as possible is there's never enough money. And one of the things I've learned over my lifetime, the more money I make, the more I spend. The bigger house we have, the better car we have, the, the, the more toys we have. You know, I remember... When I was making practically nothing, we barely had a car. 
We did have a roof over our head. We had a TV that was ancient even for its day. But we had things. And then the more money I made, we got a better car, we moved to a better house. We, we, all we do is spend the money in, you know, that we make. Money is never going to be enough. Having friends, friends are wonderful, but can you ever have enough friends? If you really like making friends, no, you can't have enough friends. You always want more friends. Now, this is what's important. What is our trust in? Solomon said, the man who had more money than anybody's ever had, the man who had everything that he could possibly want, said it's all vanity. Nothing was enough. Why? Because he did not have God. And the problem is God is the only one that can fill the emptiness in our life. Because the hole in our heart is shaped for God, infinite. And you can pour as much stuff as you want and can find, but you're not going to fill that infinite hole in your heart that only God can fill. And this is what the world is always trying to do. They chase after things. The actor or actress is saying, I've got to get the big role. I've got to get the, the Oscars. I've got to get the whatever else are out there, the Golden Globes or whatever, whatever it is that they, they can earn. I've got to get plenty of acclaim. I want everybody to know me. I want, you know, they think they want the Pazzarazzi to chase after them until they start chasing after them and realize I didn't want that after all. I don't want them in my face all the time. You know, your football and basketball and baseball and hockey stars, you know, if just enough people know me and I get enough scores and I get enough records, I'm going to be happy. And they find out they're not happy. The businessman says, I want to be the richest man in the world. And never happy because somebody else is chasing them on the same thing and keep making more money than they do. And then they have to make more money and then they have to make more, more money and they're still not happy. Because they're not following something that will actually fill them up. And here we're being told that we are to crucify the flesh, not let it live. Uh, Colossians 3.5 says we are to mortify the flesh. That means to kill it. Uh, you know, we, we are in 1 Peter 4.2, we are to live to the will of God. The will of God. He wants us to serve him. And we sang the song this morning that for his pleasure he created all things. Now, he created everything so that we would be fulfilled in this world, but he created everything for his pleasure. Now, why God created everything, I have no idea. We've talked about that many times. When God created the world, he knew that man was going to fall. Before he created us, he knew man was going to fall. And he still created man. And with the fall of man, nature fell as well. This world is not the world that God created in its perfection. We have storms and trials and earthquakes and all the, all the bad things that happen because of the fall of man. What an impact man had on earth. They talk about global warming and everything and how men are causing global warming. Well, indirectly we are because of the fall of Adam and Eve. All of this is a cycle that is in place because of the fall. And in Romans, it tells us the earth groans for the day of, of its redemption. The earth itself is looking forward to the fixing of it and saying, now you're back to being perfect. Now, we can't even imagine what a perfect world would be like because we've never seen one. You know, and this is the whole process that goes into this. God says, give up the, the old evil 
ways. So when we're out there, we're supposed to be doing a few things. We're supposed to be putting him first, putting our flesh to death, renouncing the ways of the world. Those are some pretty hard things to do. We can't meet them all. Then he ended this one with, you're to be the salt of the world. I could go on and on and on about salt, but what does salt do? It flavors things. It creates thirst. It heals. If you want to pour it into your wounds, it'll heal, heal wounds. It hurts, hurts a whole lot, but it will heal and disinfect. We as Christians are supposed to be all of that to the, to the world. We get to be salt in their wounds and they don't like it. We're seeing that right now as people want to do evil things and the church says, no, you can't. And they're going, who are you to say that? Because we just poured salt in their wound that they know is a wound. And they're going, you're judging us. You're doing all these things. You're making my life miserable and I don't like you. Because you're telling me I can't do what I think I want to do. It creates a thirst for God. It flavors our life. And then he says, if the salt is without saltiness, it is worthless. You know, how do you salt salt? <laughs> You know, I can salt meat, I can salt vegetables, I can salt, you know, just about anything, but you can't salt salt. <laughs> you know, you cannot make the salt salty again. And he says it's worthless, you just throw it out to be, be, be trampled on. And this is who we are, and he says, you are to be the salt of the world. And don't be a salt that has no flavor. And from all of this, we look and say, what is God really wanting us to do? He wants us to count the cost, the cost of living for him. We will be rejected by the world when we live for him. We might be rejected by family members. Now, how many of you got saved and had your family members say, I don't want to have anything to do with you? Now, especially if you came in a family that didn't, didn't follow God. Everybody's all happy. We're, we're at our Thanksgiving dinner and everybody's happy being gluttons and drinking and, and watching football and all of a sudden you get saved and you want to pray for the, pray for the food. And it's like, well, we don't pray for food in this family. Well, I got to pray for my food before, before I eat it. You know, well, you're going to get drunk with us? Nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be drunk. Well, you're no fun anymore. Don't want you around. You're, you're no fun anymore. You're, you're, you're a, a buzzkill. You're, you're, you're you're, we don't want you around. Or the great comment that we, you think you're better than us. Because you won't do the things that we all do. We probably all, when we first got saved, heard some form of those statements. You know, we had all the friends and we were, we were with them, partying with them, having a good time, and then we get saved. And we try to hang out with our friends, but they don't like being with us because we don't do the same things they do anymore. Separation of friends, separation of family. All of these things happen, and we start denouncing these things. Because what are we looking for? The resurrection of Christ. The glory that is to come. What we live on this life will be rewarded when we stand before Jesus at the Bema Seat. For us as Christians, we will stand at the bema seat of Christ and he will take all the works of our life and throw them in a fire and see what comes back out. Everything that he has done through us will come back out and we'll take those rewards into heaven with us. Some people will come out with lots and lots of rewards. Some people will come out with very few rewards because they never let God work in their life. Now I understand getting into heaven is what counts, but you know what? I don't know what a reward means in heaven, but I want them. <laughs> I don't know what a reward means in heaven, but I want rewards. 
which means I want God to work through me. Now, after that, there's going to come the time with God where we get to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb while this world goes through trials and tribulations, through the seven-year tri tribulation. At the end of time, at the end of a thousand-year uh, millennial kingdom after that, God will bring all the people that rejected him and put him before the white throne judgment where they will be found guilty of not being perfect. Note what I said. They are guilty of not being perfect. Not guilty of sin because Jesus covered the sin, but their own righteousness, which doesn't meet God's standards, is what they're going to be guilty for. How many of you have ever talked to somebody about Jesus and you're trying to tell them about getting to heaven and they go, well, I hope I'm good enough. I hope my good is good enough to get me in heaven. Your answer can be real simple. It is not. And neither is my goodness good, good enough to get me in heaven. Why do we get into heaven? Because of Jesus' righteousness. He died for our sins so that we could be clothed with his righteousness so that when we stand before the Father, he says, now that is a perfect garment. God has an absolute dress code to get into heaven. You must be wearing Jesus' righteousness. If you do not wear his righteousness, you are rejected. You might come in with a perfect tux and a nice looking thing and God says, that is nothing but rags and, rags and ugliness to me. And you lived a good life, you think. And this is the problem. There are, the churches especially are filled with people who are going to go to God saying, God, look how good I have been. I wasn't one of those bad people that were stealing and robbing and getting drunk and sleeping around and telling lots of lies. I was a really good person. And God's saying, but you weren't perfect. You're, you're going to be cast into hell for not being perfect. What a standard God has. He has an impossible standard, which is why we have to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to be saved. And we get to put on his righteousness because without his righteousness, there is no hope. And this is what he's saying as the result of all of these things is that there is heaven. There is an eternal life that follows all of this to go forward. Uh, Philippians 3.8 tells us that we win Christ. Can you picture that? We win Christ by accepting him. The Holy Spirit lives in us. What a power that we have if we really want to acknowledge it. If we will let our flesh be crucified and let God live out of us, we will win glory. We will win rewards, all because of what he does for us, not what we do. And this is the important message. What is the cost that we're willing to spend? It costs a lot to follow Christ. The rewards are out of this world, but the cost can be great in the flesh because I give up what I want. I give up my desires so that I can win what he wants. And this is the good news for us. Are we willing to pay the cost? What is that cost? These are just a few of them. Are we willing to pay the cost of serving Christ? Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will decide to say, God, I am a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins. Come into my life and save me. Lord, for those of us that are in here that know you, we ask you to help us to make a decision to count the cost and to follow, 
no matter what the cost. Lord, give us that decision. Give us that unction to say, yes, God, I want to follow you no matter what the cost. You are number one in my life, and we want, I want to follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.